Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder one way or another. We call this Extra Zing. And then Plan B is his whole kind of concept, which is a collaborative approach to problem solving and it it absolutely has to involve the child Mm. so I think that number one is already really interesting and it seems so obvious so much of what he says seems so obvious but Mm. you think why didn't you know I haven't really thought about that yes yes I don't want to hear because they're autistic Mm. or because they have ADHD because that's not helpful so I want to hear from the child from their own mouth about that situation In the spirit of reconciliation, Takes a Village acknowledges the traditional custodians of country here on the lands of the Boon Wurrung and Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, as well as throughout Australia, and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you about the topic today. Oh my gosh, it's going to be really hard for me to organise my thoughts because yep. there's so many of them. But it's fresh, which is it's why we wanted to, fresh. to do yes. it. So Anna has been on a two-day course workshop something yes. with the amazing Dr. Ross Green. So mm. tell us who he is and, and how you came about it. So I don't know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. I came across him oh, quite a few years ago now when I was, I'm always, you know, at the beginning of something new, I'm like, read, 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 find out more. And I found a book called The Explosive Child, mm-hmm. which I think he wrote in the late 90s sort of thing. And it's, it was really life-changing for me, what I, the way that he talks about how to help our kids mm-hmm. because he comes from a perspective of, and I think he's, because he's American, I think it's an intentional shift away from that ABA approach that is very big in America. Yeah, which is? Which is something about behaviour management. Okay. So it's specifically about, and it's very much used in autism, around how to manage behaviours. Yeah. So, for example, if a kid's hitting, what are the strategies you can put in place to stop them hitting? Yeah. But Ross Green says, well, if they're hitting or any behaviours that might be considered concerning, mm. they're actually trying to tell you something. Mm. They're not just hitting for no reason. So he's got this perspective of trying to uncover what that is, yep. which makes so much sense. Totally. So when I read that and I started to understand, and my, our psychologist used to talk about this as well, that if there are these behaviours, they're, they're trying to achieve something. Child's trying to communicate something, mm. either so they don't like something. Yeah. And Ross Green said yesterday. They're overwhelmed or they're in distress. Right. So <laughs> he said it's like an infant. When a baby is small, they have needs and they communicate them, but they don't have words yet. And he said this relates to children who are non-speaking as well. They can still communicate. Mm. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm uncomfortable. I'm scared. I'm sick. Through And we get to know and understand those cries. And he said... By observing, and the more you get to know that infant or that child, you can start to understand. And then as they get older and more complex, and if they're able to express themselves with words, and he did have some suggestions of how you could if the child is non-speaking, to be able to start to unpack that. Mm. 
So for that example of uh, a child might be hitting, when are they hitting? What's happening now? What's happened before? And if they don't hit all the time, then that tells you that they're only doing it circumstantially mm. and you want to try and unpack that. Now, there may be lots of reasons behind it, but and then the other thing is really challenging your assumptions about what you think the reasons are. Mm. Are they hitting because they're frustrated? Yeah. Well, they might be, but what else? Mm. So um, he's written quite a few books. Another one's called Raising Human Beings. I'm sure that's one of his as well. Uh, and now he's teaching. So yeah. uh, he's got a, I think he's very successful, or at least he has a lot of reach, which I consider to be success. Mm. And he works in a lot of schools in the US yeah. and he works with families. And I think that w- one of the things he explained about in the US, they still use quite strong restrictive and punitive practices. Yeah, I saw that on his website, yeah. Yeah, yep. for severe behaviours, uh, which... He's obviously very concerned about mm. and... None of which we do, well, certainly not in the Victorian school system. Yeah. Sounds, it sounds like. I but. think so. I mean, I think even in, if you think about in a juvenile detention centre, for example, mm. which I'm going to suggest that probably there are kids in there who might be struggling with some of these neurodiverse challenges, yeah. which yeah. is how, you know, why they've been unable to kind of operate in expected ways. Yeah. I think in those cases there is absolutely restraint mm. used yeah. And he would sort of argue that you can restrain and that might stop that behaviour, but it's not going to stop it next time because if they're trying to communicate something just by you restraining them, that's not going to stop them. Mm. So he's trying to find more sustainable, ongoing, you know, humane ways that actually help the child and the person who's the care or the person managing them. Yeah. So yeah. taking a step back, you put your name down for this two-day course mm. And from what I can gather, he's got this CPS, is that what he calls it? This is that methodology? his yes. Yeah, his model. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So you kind of knew what you were getting? Like you were like, okay, well, he's yeah. going to be teaching me around yes. uh, well, CPS. Yes, t- well, typical my style. I didn't read very much about yeah. it. I knew he was coming. I knew it was two days and they, it was split into two. So you could go to the first day yeah. and if you chose to, to stay for the second day, it's more sort of in-depth. Okay. So I chose both. So I did expect probably to get some tools. Mm. And techniques. It was packed, yeah. and he's been all around and what's Australia. What packed look like? How many people? Um, Three hundred. Yeah, and it was booked. It was booked out ages ago. Booked out ages yeah. ago. Yeah, wow. And it and was all parents. So or? he asked that. He said, "Hands up if your parents." I reckon half the room. Okay. Put the hand up. Hand up if you're educator. Or? Uh, educator. Not as many. Yeah. But then um, therapists, Thera- OTs, okay. speechy psychologists. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And how? Like, what did he do for that first? Day. Like, how did he kick it off? How did he win you all over? Or what was it that that first day when you texted us saying, this is amazing? Yeah. I mean, I think probably most people in there would have known what they were coming for. Yeah. You know, so they knew his model. And he, um, gosh, how did it go? Well, I think he sort of started off with this positioning why this approach rather than behaviours themselves. Mm-hmm. And he gave... Lots of practical examples, which I really liked. So he would be, he would, and he probably jumped into the model very quickly, actually. Mm. And I've got my notes. I probably should have my notes up. But I'm not here to, um, I'm not representing Ross Green. It's important. He actually said there's lots of people out there who are saying they know about this model, but they're not certified. So disclaimer, this is just sort of what I'm starting to understand. But I think he started off with explaining that, uh, so he he said, if there's a behaviour that's of concern, that you want to manage. Mm. There's plan A, plan B and plan C. 
And plan A is disciplinary. Yeah. Tell them not to do it. If they do it again, there's a consequence or mm-hmm. a punishment. So that's um, a power, yeah. a power imbalance or a power play. So you're in charge, you tell the child not to do it. And then explained how that's really can be very ineffective. He doesn't talk about diagnosis very much. So he mm-hmm. didn't say four autistic people, four children or four. Obstinative defiance. No, yeah. but all the things he was describing fall into all of those yeah. categories. So it's more designed for behaviours of concern. And there were some questions from people saying, well, what if the child doesn't have behaviours of concern, but they're internalising it all and they've got all these problems? The model can still absolutely work, but it's, I think where he began was with those, that cohort of kids who have behaviours of concern because there's more attention on them. Teachers are asking for help. Parents yeah. are asking for help. And people are at their wits end because they don't know. Yep. They need new tools, yep. strategies. Yeah, But it, it applies and actually as I was listening, like most of the things that we learn and read is relevant to any child mm. and any human because it's very human-centred. Yeah. So plan A is disciplinary and, and that's when the carer makes the decision mm-hmm. and puts it on the child. Yeah. Plan C, I'll jump to that, plan C is ignore it. Yeah. Just leave it. And sometimes uh, we've talked about that, yeah. you know, if when you and pick plan B, yeah pick, yeah, pick your battles, absolutely. And so it might be an ignore it for now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's plan C is do nothing. So yeah. either, you know, be completely in control, do nothing or, and then plan B is his whole kind of concept, which is a collaborative approach yeah. to problem solving. And it, it absolutely has to involve the child. Mm. So I think that number one is already really interesting and it seems so obvious so mm. much of what he says seems so obvious but mm. you think oh why didn't you know i haven't really like thought about that the child in decision yes. making and problem solving yes but also you have to be patient not angry yourself all of not that. broken all, you know, of all of these that. things so there's a lot yeah. of sort of scaffolding around how to do and that the child well i'll let you answer this question does the child need to be of a certain cognitive development or IQ or whatever to be able to engage in this? No. no. Okay. No, talk no. me. Talk yeah. me through it. So let's say the concerning behaviour is hitting. Yeah. So what he would say is, well, let's get really specific about that. When is this happening? Oh, in the playground. But specifically when mm. in the playground? What time is it? Mm. What's just happened? And what specifically? So mm. my child hits in the playground after school, and and who do they hit? Mm. So it's really instead of just he calls it clumping. So instead of saying the tr- the problem is my child hits, he wants you to break it right down into the specific times. Even if they hit in 10, 15, 18, 25 times circumstances, a day, or yes. pick one. Yeah. So let's say my child hits me when I say no, mm. and he'll say, well, what what, what did you what, what did you asking? what were they asking? Yeah. And so really kind of nubbing it down so that you can get to a very specific behaviour of concern. And he calls it an unsolved problem. So he's got a specific way that you phrase it. Did he use an example? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Johnny has difficulty. That's the beginning of everyone. Johnny has difficulty and you don't say not doing something, something, but what they do. So what they're trying to do. So what's the expected behaviour? So if the expected behaviour is that we don't hit, well, maybe you say, you know, we don't hit when we're frustrated or whatever. Expected behaviour is that you don't do that. Yeah. Johnny has difficulty controlling, controlling his, his anger hands or whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. In the playground when playing with Fred. Yeah. After school. After school. Yep. And so then what you would do is try and unpick when are there times when 
Johnny might be in a playground playing and doesn't hit mm. or he doesn't hit Fred and what do they look like? So you're trying to kind of chip away at the times when that behaviour can be met. Mm. So firstly you want to work out whether they have the ability to meet that expectation. So Johnny in the playground at recess with Freddie does not hit. Like he's not, you wouldn't say that. Yeah, but so, that would be the expected behaviour, say. Yeah. So before you kind of delve into the solution, you have to determine are they able to do that? No, I mean, that's what I mean. Yes. So if there's other circumstances where he's in the playground yes. with Freddie and doesn't hit, yes. what, then are you, you looking know. at the factor? Okay, well, after school's the factor. Yes, so then is, you know that the okay. skill is there, yeah. the ability to meet that expectation in certain circumstances is mm. there, but there are unsolved problems relating to that expected behaviour. So you want to work out what what is going on in there. Mm. And and then the way that he says it is that you, you ask the child and he's got a script. It's a bit American, but it says, Johnny, I've noticed when you're in the playground playing with Freddie after school that sometimes you hit him. What's I'm going actually, on? I'm just laughing because you were like... You ask the child. I, I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. <laughs> when, when they're little now, I would. But I'm like, when, when do I ask the child? You ask the child. Because the idea is that we as adults see everything through our own lens mm. and we make a lot of assumptions about what we think. And we there also are some, have our own baggage. We I'm have embarrassed. Our, all I'm the things. Frustrated. I'm, all the things that get in the way and those things inform how you respond. So he's like, let's just get the facts. And he also says, I don't want to hear because they're autistic Mm. or because they have ADHD because that's not helpful. So I want to hear from the child, from their own mouth, about that situation. But can all children access that? Well, so then he's got a whole lot of strategies about how you might do that. And so let's say that the child, he says there's a few different responses. Either they'll say nothing or they'll say something and then stop or they'll say, I don't care, I don't know. So, I mean, look, I think like any model, it sounds really good in theory mm. and then you can see how in practice, oh, I can see how that could be hard, but there's so much that you can still learn from mm-hmm. it. So let's say they say, I don't know why. And then, oh, you don't know why. So there's all this kind of coaching around how to do empathetic listening. Yeah. And so a lot of it is, oh, tell me more. I'm hearing you say this, I'm hearing you say that, but you're not putting ideas in their head. You're not telling them what you think. You're just asking them, asking them. And he says there's something really powerful about asking the child, mm. them having a sense of being heard. Mm. And being listened to because so many times, especially kids who have a lot of those behaviours, no one's listening to them. Everyone's just telling them to stop. Mm. So there's something really powerful about that. Yeah, nobody listens to them. Nobody listens. And the thing, and he showed a lot of videos of like live coaching sessions and live examples of teachers using the model and and other therapists using the model. And it's so interesting because sometimes this information comes out that have nothing to do with their, call it neurodiversity. They have to do with sometimes they have to do with something else. Mm-hmm. And unless you ask the child and give the child, and I'm sure like practice, they probably hopefully get better at being able to do that. So, so there's this, this model of empathetic listening. Mm. And then once you've sort of got to what you think the nub of the, well, there might be more than one, right? It's not just there's one reason. But once you get to have a sense of what those are, then you, then you take this model of what if, let's say Johnny hits Freddie, and there's three reasons why. They're tired, Freddie's mean or something or they wouldn't let me go on the swing, whatever. Mm. And then he does this thing. He says, well, what if you weren't tired? How do you think you'd feel? Oh, yeah, well, when I'm not tired, it's okay. Or what if Freddie was being really nice? And then what if there were two swings? So it's trying to get the child to be able to distinguish mm. which thing matters more and it helps you to be able to understand 
if there are multiple factors in something, which ones to them are the most, the most important? Important. Yeah. Uh, and then let's say you get to a place where you've worked out three or four things to do with that very specific situation. Then together you work out, does the expected behaviour need to be addressed? Like do we need to revise expected behaviour? Could we change it? If we could change these things, would it be different? And so it's about when you get to the, so it's not a consequence. It's a, it's a plan for how do we make this better for you mm. next time? And let's try it. And if it doesn't work, it's okay, we'll come back to it. Mm. But they've got agency in the, that action plan. Mm. And then you have to kind of both sort of agree to it. And that can be, there's a lot of negotiation in mm. there and you have to, I think it's probably excruciating. But the notion of asking the child. Yeah, is really powerful. What is going on? Can you imagine just that, like, because my brain just all of a sudden wanted mm-hmm. to skip around. What happens if there's like five different behaviours and how do you address that? And do you just focus on one? And what yeah. happens if they don't answer? And, yeah. But one behaviour, can you imagine doing that with your 14-year-old? Yeah. Yeah. I can. And talking and having that conversation, that back and forth. Yeah. And do you feel like she would be able to understand Yeah. or be able to reflect on yeah. what were some of the reasons? Because yeah. I know you say often there's maybe lack of insight, doesn't know yeah. why they're having a meltdown. Yeah. yeah. So you don't ask them why. You don't ask this why. This is another one. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like instead of saying, if they say, I hate it, you don't say, why do you hate it? So, so which bits of it do you hate about it? So asking them, uh, so I've said before with my middle child that she finds it really hard to, I think, to recognise and articulate and communicate complex feelings. Yeah. But if you're not asking about feelings, you're asking about facts. Yeah. And I think that that's something that she could do. Now, that's not to say that there may not be a gaping hole in something that you know. So after you've gone through this information gathering process, you are you, you, you can say if there are things that you think you could say, oh, what about this? This is what I see. Do you think that could be something? And they might say, oh, yes or no. But and do they have to be, so when you're having this conversation to say if your child's really heightened, you that's, can't. That's not when you do it. No, no, so you have it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine having this conversation about being abused and yelled at when you take a screen away? So I'm thinking of the most volatile yeah, situation yeah, in I your think, house. Yeah, I think One so. One of the most volatile. I think, yeah. look, I don't know. I haven't practised anything yet. No, no, I, I know. You know. Just, can you so, imagine Yeah, I can. I think I can imagine that I would probably want to start the practice with something much more yeah. benign <laughs> yeah. to get into that mode because it's about establishing a new way of communicating and that could take some time. Yeah. And I think also that there are other people that my daughter works with who could potentially have that conversation, yeah. right? So it doesn't have to be me. There's a great counsellor that she's working with that's and does like animal therapy but she's yeah. also a qualified psychologist I could say can we use this model and they're much she's much more likely to be able to talk and communicate if it's not me for mm. some things mm. yeah have any, any of the the carers support workers therapists in your life done this program uh, do you know or, or? well they're so our speech is definitely familiar with Ross Green, yeah. so she knows about it. What I want to do is we've got a team, a care team meeting coming up with our all the people, OT, speech, counsellor, social worker, school wellbeing person, everyone, and I want to propose that we try and use a version of this model yep. to with the goals that we're working on. And would Ross Green say that consistency is really important? Like, ha- yes. like yeah. Yeah, I mean. Like he, if they're like, oh, we've got our own frameworks and methodology. Oh, look, he's pretty attached to his, yeah. you know. Like I think anyone who's very successful, they're going to be really attached to theirs yeah. and there's going to be, there must be some sort of, well, you can't do that because it has to be like this. Yeah. But he's he is very kind of 
insistent that if you're going to use this model, this is how you should do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you watch those videos, right, of, of people using his model, was, mm. it, was it him or was it other people? Both. Okay, that's yeah. good because I'd like to see it. It's yeah. not just Both. him. Both, yeah. Tell me what it was like and, like, you know, what, what the shift that you saw in the child. Well, I think... It's really easy to look at all the things that could be hard about that. How yeah. is that kid going to sit there for so long? How, you know, so I think if, it, if I try and sort of put aside all the things that I, all the blockers that I could see about yeah. how that might not work, I think the the way that you approach speaking to a child is quite different, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I like to think that I'm sort of, I try and be very people focused and try not to have hierarchy, but we just unless you really ask yourself, how are you talking to someone? And I know with all my children, particularly my first two, they've told me that my tone is really jarring (laughs) for them. So if I'm talking about something really stressful, like let's say it's an incident of hitting or something, and I'll be like, can you, we need to talk about this. Why are you doing that? That tone already is a really bad start. So learning about how they experience those kind of conversations about hard things and so I think there's something really in that. And the other one that he kind of re, really emphasises is that you're not talking about the behaviour. So it's not a conversation with the child about what they're doing wrong. Yeah. It's trying to get them to understand what's happening for them. Yeah. So I think it's very empowering for them. And the kids seem to be, I mean, it's pretty slow. Yeah. You can imagine like, you know, you're watching the videos for quite a long time and they're like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, tell me more. And the models for like... Kids with extreme behaviours and also high needs in the sense that you would assume in an education setting it's almost like a one-on-one. Yeah, totally you know, one-on-one, so absolutely. Because I look at this and I think, oh, my God, how could you do this with two other kids running around? No, like, it's absolutely one-on-one, yeah. I think like anything, it's a practice. Yeah. But you know what happened? So yesterday it was day two and he was giving some examples of different age kids and different sort of scenarios and one of them he raised was, you know, like a teacher might be complaining about a kid constantly leaving the classroom. And literally I get an email from the science teacher of my year 10 saying, you know, your boy is leaving the classroom constantly during the class and he needs to stop. Yeah. It was emailed to him, to me and to the head of house. Or that. And I responded saying, you know, thanks for your note. This is not a new thing. You know, I would like to position that my child wants to do well at school. Mm. And if he could stay in the classroom, he would. So can we try and unpack why he's not staying in the classroom? Yeah. Not or what is like what the, is what, what's going on for him? What is making yeah. it hard for him to stay? Not mm. let's focus on the fact that he keeps going. And I wrote this long note as like literally while I was in there saying, can we please Start from a place of non-judgment and non-criticism and let's understand what's going on. But can we be specific? Which, what were you teaching in that class? Mm. What time was it? What was expected? What behaviours expected of him? Right. Like was so, everyone having to sit still and concentrate yes. and he was just feeling hemmed in? And can we please ask him and can we please keep on asking him until he's exhausted all the possible reasons? And then can we, you know, so I wrote this. Did you hashtag Ross Green? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, I probably, yeah, I should have, like, credit, copyright something. But it was just amazing. She said, I'll talk to you next term. (laughs) It was the end of term. Look at you, like, 2.58. I know. Friday, yeah. But she sent the note the same day, right? And But that particular thing has been happening a lot. Yeah. And there has been quite a lot of complaints about it. Mm. And I'm like, well, has anyone tried to, and actually I gave an example, I said, we had a similar issue in maths, 
The teacher asked him and he said, it's really crowded in here and loud mm. and we know he's behind because of all the COVID stuff. So I said, so you guys agreed that he could have headphones in the classroom. Tick, great. And we've got a tutor to help try and catch him up. Tick. So there may be other things going on, but unless we try and unpack what are those things, all that's going to happen is the kid's going to be in trouble again, in trouble again. Mm. And... It's not actually helping them. So next time they go into science, they're not going to stay longer because they got in trouble last time. Mm. It's just going to be everyone's going to continue to get annoyed and then no one's even asked the question why. Yeah, yeah. I love that you use that. in. I loved it too. Yeah. So what else, what were some other big takeaways from this? That's massive, that framework. So so the 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 model is based on these two ideas of lagging skills Mm -hmm. and unsolved problems. And lagging skills, they're not perhaps the more traditional ones of, you know, they're behind in maths or they can't do division, but the lagging skills fit under the category of their ability to be flexible and adaptable, their ability to Mm self-regulate, their ability to, oh, no, I've forgotten them, but they're they're all around that either executive functioning or Mm self-regulation or communicate. Mm -hmm. So those more probably bucketed up neurodiverse challenges that we might be currently addressing through speech and OT, but so it's this concept of what is the lagging skill that's holding them back from meeting that expectation and then what is the unsolved problem, which is more about the environment, what is happening in the environment. So they may or may not, if they have a lagging skill, you have to take that into account. So if the lagging skill is, for argument's sake, self-regulation, then it's not fair to expect them to meet a certain expectation if they actually can't. Yeah. So the first thing you've got to work out is can they or can't they? Yeah. And if they can't, adjust the expectation. If they can but only in certain circumstances, let's work out under which circumstances they can't and let's try and find out why. Yeah. So I think and then he's got this full kind of assessment tool to work those things out. So what I started to do was write listing the unsolved problems that we, the biggest ones, yeah. and there's a lot, yeah. right? So from, from from like not brushing their teeth or yeah. not, washing their, not washing their hair or not getting in the shower, not picking up their mess, using nasty words when they don't get their way, lots of them. Yeah. And then, so I wrote, I started to write them all down and then I start, and then what I want to do is look at them in the context of do they have the skills to do this thing or yeah. not? So brushing teeth, for example, he gave a good example of that, that you might be able to brush your teeth, but what is going on that you, why you don't want to do it? And it might be the taste of the toothpaste. Yeah. It might be the sound of the electric toothbrush. It might be the water gets on your face. Mm. And so they can physically do it, but there's things getting in the way that make them not do it. Yeah. So then you can come up with a lot. So I think what can happen is you think, oh, I know, so many. Am yeah. I supposed to do that full-on process? I feel for overwhelmed them? just thinking about that list. Right. So <laughs> he said then once you've got that, you prioritise them. Yeah, okay. What are the most important ones? And you would use a lens of safety, Yeah. right, as a starting point. So and in our case, we have some of those things. So I would be less focused on brush, toothbrushing yeah. and more focused on safety. That safety. Yeah. You can prioritise. You know what the biggest things are. Yeah. So you just start with And those. teachers might then, teachers will have a different list. Like they say, might have if, one too. You know, yeah. your 14-year-old goes to school and yeah. they're like, right, we need to prioritise, I don't know, swearing or yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. The most, the most pressing things and the things that are going to have the most impact. Yeah. And then I think there is an element of also examining the expected behaviour and asking yourself why is this an expected behaviour and some of them don't matter as much. Mm. So 
And yes. it's hard when you think about that in a school setting. And, of course, I think if the kids have these type of behaviours, the school setting is going to be alternative. It's probably, well, maybe it's mainstream well, hopefully, school. hopefully, yeah. I mean, well, maybe depends. it's mainstream school and then you've got 25 kids and it's a nightmare for a teacher yeah. really. Yeah. But is then, okay, when you look at them, as because it's, it's very easy to go, well, that has an impact on the other kids. Yeah. That has an impact on my teaching. Yes. It's like, and that's when you all of a sudden, yeah, you just... That kid, just get out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're suspended or go the principal yes, totally. because you don't Absolutely. have the capacity and the yes. time to work through this. Yes. But then when that kid is sent to the principal or mm. sent to wellbeing or whatever, that's the opportunity yeah. to use this model. Well, he talks or? about how he says, you know, there are perennial kids who will get sent out and they're yeah. perennial centre-outerers. Yeah, yes. So there are some teachers who are more inclined to do that. Yeah. So there's an element of looking at both sides of it. Yeah. So, you know, in his perfect world, all the teachers are trained as well. Yeah, and you don't send kids out, of course. Right? I was more thinking, No, but it's true because it's really yeah. real and it does yeah. happen. But it's a, it, it's, a, it's a state of perpetual problem because you send them out but the next day they come in. The fact that you sent them out doesn't address whatever the problem was. No, it doesn't So there was one example. do you example, spend half an hour, I'm being devil's out, do you spend half an hour with this no, kid going I don't through know. that model? Well, you and the other kids are just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You so can't. that's when the school councillor has yeah. to do it all. You know, I mean, I think practically for sure, like anything, if you want to bring in a new culture, it has to be yeah. everywhere. It can't and just be I'm just going to try this model and still trying to do everything else. Yeah. And his, from what I can gather, he is about not when you're left with no other option, but his is like what would be traditionally called difficult kids. Yeah, he calls them concerning behaviours. Yeah, concerning behaviours. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's where it starts because... Those are the ones who get, I mean, in the US and depending on how bad the behaviours are, they can get restrained. They can get, you know, they can be uh, in in danger. Yeah. So I think it comes, it does come initially from that concept of there are these kids who need help and the way that we're dealing with them at the moment is actually bad for everyone. Yeah. It's that's, I mean, I think for a lot of probably teachers and therapists hearing his hearing him talk like that and thinking when they've used all of the <laughs> tools and frameworks and models and nothing's worked, this could be kind of groundbreaking. I mean, really. look, you like to think so. I think for me what's most remarkable about it is that what we said at the start, like this very simple concept. Because if you think about OTs and speeches and psychologists, psychologists probably do it a little bit, but they're coming with this predetermined model that they're yeah. pushing onto the child. Yeah. But it's not informed by what the child's told you about them and about their situation. So it's almost if you just add in to the speech approach or to the OT approach that questioning, that research at the beginning yeah. about, because otherwise you can be pushing a model that actually, I mean, I, I think I've noticed that particularly with one of my kids that the more we understand about how she processes the world, the more we can see where some of those things just aren't going to work. Mm-hmm. So the example that came up a lot, which there was a lot of noise in the room, is this, you know, the red light, green light, oh, yellow yeah. zone thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's very He's like, and because I've always had an issue with that, that idea that, you know, we all work with this model and, you know, once the children understand which zone they're in, then they're going to go off and make a good decision. Most humans, once they're in the yellow or red zone, are not using their functioning brain mm. to do anything. So what he says, or this is the other really kind of important point that he talks about, is he says be early. So once they're in yellow or red, it's too late. Mm. So be early. And his, his idea is you want to be preemptive rather than reactive. So the more that you can set for the child knowing what they need rather than waiting for things to go badly, yeah. which is, seems like really sensible. I remember I think it was up paediatrician once said to us or our psychologist it's not about exposure 
therapy. Mm-hmm. So if your child, say, is really anxious in crowd, does not keep putting them in a crowd until they feel better. Avoid the crowd. Yeah. So that sort of preemptive idea of the more you understand Although about PTSD their needs. PTSD and OCD, the exposure therapy is right. What totally. Works. Yeah, yeah. We're just talking so about this. For the, yeah. For, yeah. Yes, for these. Yes, absolutely. And so that understanding of what are those, and it, and then it's all the stuff that we know. Mm. What are the sensory sensitivities? What are the scenarios that are particularly triggering? Let's start with those, and yeah. let's just, and then so some of it you just take it away, yes, and that's probably yeah. what option C is. Just don't do it. Yeah. So if the expectation is that you take the bus to school and you work out that there's so many problems with that, don't do it. Mm. Find another way. Mm. So it's very practical. And yeah. the other thing that I really liked that was notable to me was he said, when you're asking the child about what's going on, don't ask them why. Yeah, you said that before. Yeah, that is don't just, ask them that's why. That's what's stuck in my head. That, right. It's really in my head right it's now. Big. It's so like, so big. So if they, you know... You might get a, oh, you know, hi, Johnny. I notice you're not getting your homework done. Tell me about it. And they say, I don't know, or it's boring. I hate it. It's boring. Mm. So you don't say, why do you think it's boring? Oh, it's boring. Bits are boring. Mm. It's different Mm. because you're asking them to be specific, not about giving an opinion. Actually, I've got a really good example of this that's made a massive shift in our household because our therapist, um, my youngest child psychologist, did this, but not knowing it was Ross Green, but I'm sure they've got their own models. But they were like, what are some things that, you know, we want to talk about this week? How are the morning routines going? And we're like, oh, they're terrible Mm -hmm. now. They've gone, they're back to being, you know, Mm -hmm. terrible. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, you know, kind of sick of just, you just don't do anything in the morning. I didn't say it like that, Mm -hmm. but, you know, in my head I'm like, yeah, it's just we're not really doing anything, Mm -hmm. getting ready. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, what is it that you're finding difficult? Ask my child. And they were like, oh, it's just, um, you know, getting up, getting out of bed and and getting ready. What is it about getting ready? Mm -hmm. Which bit of getting ready? Which bit of getting ready? What is it about? And then I don't know what to wear I can't choose see they're the nuggets of gold that if you didn't drill down you wouldn't and that is actually easy enough to address yeah because now I just go because I feel like it was going backwards to do this to an 11 year old that I used to do Mm -hmm. when they were five but I'm like these are your clothes here your tracksuit here is your top because we don't have uniforms right here you go in the morning and then they're like and they're like I've checked the temperature it's 21 or it's 17 oh thank you see that's it was like the idea the effort of like Knowing what the temperature is, am I wearing the right thing? Is it going to fit me? Is it clean? Perfect. All those things for an ADHD or a child was perfect. Yeah, it was amazing. It's been life changing. And also, I let go of going. Oh, my eleven year old should be able to pick their own clothes. I'm like, I don't care. Why? Go, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. so. That's a great example. Yeah. And that's where I think you might not have got to that. And that's where our without assumptions, questions. right? But also without sort of because we clump. That's a clumping, right? So the 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 concerning behaviour might be that. Johnny can't get themselves dressed in the morning. Yeah. Well, it was the concerning behaviour as well was like, in Everyone's my mind, like, we're late to school. But that's so yeah. clumped up. Yeah, it's a clump. That's what I mean. So yeah. Keep, so you break, you it, break it, it down. Right and then down. it's Johnny can't get dressed. Right. So you've broken that one. Yeah. Down. And yeah, you kind of, the mind boggles a little bit if you think about. But I think what the point is, is if we can get some of those things sorted, the other ones might not be as bad, or yeah. then we can start to address them. But just, I think it's a bit hopeful. Yeah. A bit hopeful. Yeah. Because actually all it is is information gathering. Yeah. So it's not like you're trying to change anything. You're just trying to find out why yeah. or more. Well, it's more than hopeful because it's also that then you've got a child who is having their voice heard. Exactly. So even if it doesn't work, like that part doesn't work. Right. But that child is going, oh, someone asked me. Yeah. What it was about the 
you know, the playground or the getting up in the morning that was difficult. Right. Or, what, or little Johnny or Freddie yeah. or whatever. And maybe that skill to start to notice. Because mm. if you know that someone might ask you, you might start in time with maturity to notice, to pay attention. Well, so that when mum asks you, good for anyone. Good for a relationship. Good for what anyone. What is it about what happened when I walked through that door? Why yes. you were so, so aggro at me right. or whatever? In a, in a, you yes. Know. It's, so in that sense, it is absolutely universal. Yeah. And it is, it's just problem solving. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Oh, my gosh, there's yeah. so much. There's so much. There's but that so was much. just those... Two light bulb moments for me, the actually asking your child <laughs> and not saying why. Yeah. So oh, the other one, just another sort of helpful t- one is not what were you feeling, but what were you thinking? Uh, okay. Because so the feelings one. are scary. Well, I don't know. Maybe they just, because some kids are limited with how many feelings they're able to yeah. distinguish. Yeah. Maybe yeah. sad, happy, angry, angry. whatever. Yeah. But if you're thinking, because thinking tells you more as well. I was thinking that I might get in trouble about that. So if they just said I was scared... You don't get enough information about what they were scared of, but if they were thinking, I might get in trouble about that, that's information that's Mm. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, and this is just the takeaways off the top of my head, is about ask the kid. Yeah. And find different ways to do that. He's got some like good strategies for for how to do that. Remove your own assumptions. Yeah. Really big one. Because I do this all the time. I have, oh, well, I know why. It's just annoying. Well, do I? So removing your assumptions, you know, giving the voice to the child and, yeah, and some of those things about thinking versus Yeah, don't ask feeling. what you're feeling, yeah. what you're thinking. Love it. So and much. he's got lots of free resources heaps. on his website. So he's yeah. got yeah. livesinthebalance.org is yeah. his website. There's heaps about the different things that they're doing and, yeah, and, and through my course I got lots of material so I can talk you through more. Yep. Thank you for sharing, yeah. Anna. Such that a was pleasure. great. So Thank good. you. Bye. Pleasure. Bye.